Thank you, Alice and Rose. Aren't they just delightful ladies to be around? I just love being around them. I tell you what, New Life Church is a better place because you ladies are here and with us and uh, so delighted about uh, the Bible studies that are going on and grateful for those, grateful for the hard work that everybody's put into those, especially Todd and Mickey uh, as they've uh, led that. And so we're grateful for that. Well, this past Monday was Valentine's Day, and I had big plans uh, because that's how we roll. And uh, I had a plan for the day. I had nice gifts, had a strategy for the day, and everything was going well early in the morning until uh, about mid-morning, my phone started blowing up with phone calls and texts and emails that my email had been hacked. And it took about three hours to try to get that worked out and let people know, don't give them money. Actually, what had happened was my email account had been spoofed, and they took a picture of me off of the website, and they were asking many of you, maybe all of you, uh, for money. Uh, And it was very upsetting at first to me because, well, it stole time from my I was planning on having with my wife. And number two, they were trying to steal money from you guys. And so I'll just be, you confess my sin. Uh, at first, I did not respond with a Christ-like attitude. In fact, had I seen this guy, I would have punched him in the throat. Okay, let's just be honest here. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be sexist. I'm assuming it was a guy. It could have been a lady. But I was so angry, I wanted it to be a guy because uh, I wanted to put him, you know, in a rear naked chokehold or something like that. Because they're trying to take money from our people. Um, and so, uh, just so everybody knows, just want to be clear moving forward, I, I don't ever ask for money like that, okay? First of all, first thing you can do is just look, and if it's not my email address, you know it's not me, okay? So our email address is, mine is tempe at newlifechurch-lu.org. And so if you see one that comes at a Gmail account, that's the wrong email. And, I, and I'm just not going to ask you for money on gift cards. Now, if you want to give me money, thank you, Jesus. But I, that's... <laughs> I'm never going to ask for that uh, that way, okay? So just everybody know that. Uh, But this was good practice for us this week because we know that in the last days, these kind of things are going to increase. And we've already been warned about this. Paul said this, 1 Timothy 3, verse 13, in the last days, evil men and imposters, imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. So we know, according to Peter in Acts chapter 2, we are currently living in the last days, right? From the day of Pentecost forward was the last days. We're in the last days, and we know that we've been warned, we've been alerted that this kind of stuff's going to happen. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 11. Listen to this one. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. And listen to this last sentence. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Yikes. That means that whoever tried to pull this on our church and pulled the scam on us, trying to scam the flock of God, has a rude awakening in store for them. So what do we do? How should we respond to this? Well, what does Jesus tell us to do? And in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So what do we do? We, we love like our Father loves. And what does he do? He, the sun rises and sets on the righteous and the wicked both. 
And so we're supposed to love like the Father loves. Romans 12, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love like the Father loves. We're supposed to pray for this guy. We're supposed to bless him. And we're supposed to forgive him so a root of bitterness doesn't get in us. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So this week as I'm trying to do these things for this person um, uh, who tried to do this to us, uh, as I'm praying for them, you know, I'm beginning, it, the it, scripture says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And I started thinking about how the Lord forgave me. And I started praying and I started thinking about all the stupid stuff I have thought in my life. <laughs> And the stupid stuff I've said and the stupid stuff I've done, the sinful stuff that I've been, and God forgave me of all of it. And so I started praying for this guy and I'm saying, God, have mercy on this man because he doesn't even know who he's messing with right now. He has no idea what he's doing. So, Father, forgive him. Let him meet Jesus. And I started interceding for him or her. And we also upped our security on our webpage. So we did that too. But that's how we're going to respond to these kind of things. And I want us, this is like a practice session because we're living in a world where this is going to increase. We've been in a series of messages, the verse that's been kind of our theme for the year. More than a theme, it's going to be an outline for the year. It's Acts 2.42. We even have some t-shirts made of it. Uh, It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And for the first four weeks of the year, we talked about being devoted to prayer. Two weeks ago, Kevin entered into the being devoted to the fellowship. And one of the things he said was that the word fellowship there is the word koinonia, and it means to share with, but not share with like you tell, you know, like a, a parent, a mom tells her toddler, you know, look, Timmy, you should share with Tommy your little toys. It doesn't mean share like that. It means share as in to participate in. I mean, it's a close association. It's to share life. Think less about sharing a contact on your iPhone. Right? That's pretty easy. No, you can just go to contacts for for those who need a tutorial. You go to contacts, you pick the contact, and you click share contact, and then you just email it to the person. It's really easy. It costs nothing, and it takes you four seconds. That's not the kind of word that Koinonia is trying to point to. It's not that kind of share. It's share more like the scene, uh, if you ever saw the movie Gladiator, when Maximus is in the amphitheater, he's in the Colosseum, right? And he used to be a Roman leader, and now he, he's, a, um, he's a gladiator, and there's a group of gladiators, and they're recreating the battle at Carthage, and they're, wa- they're in the middle of the Colosseum, and they're waiting for the gates to open and these chariots to burst forth. And Maximus says, no matter what happens, stay together. No matter what comes through that gate, we have a better chance if we stay together. And what comes through the gate? Bursting with wild animals and, you know, chariots, and they're coming out. And one of the persons, one of the guys, he doesn't pay attention to Maximus, and he runs off from the group, and he gets mowed down right away. And Maximus is saying, stay together, stay together. What are they doing? They're sharing life. They're sharing war. They're together. They're covering each other's back in the heat of opposition. That's more like koinonia. Two weeks ago, Kevin began to point out some of the marks of the early church fellowship that we see in Acts chapter 2. He said, number one, it was a generous fellowship. They were giving to one another. It was a unified fellowship. It says that they were together, meaning not just geographically, but they were together as brother and sister for each other. They were, when some one person hurt, they all felt it. 
They were a growing, number three, fellowship. The Lord was adding to their number daily. And last week I added another one to that that comes right out of Acts. They were a powerful fellowship. And today I want to add just one more again, just one more today. And, and when I say this one, you're probably not going to go, oh, praise God. Awesome. You know, you're probably not going to do that. You're probably going to go, yeah, uh, yes, yeah, Jeanette, like, can we go back to last week to the power stuff? This one might not be as fun, okay? This might not be the most downloaded message in the world, but I'm going to tell you something. This may be one of the most important aspects of our fellowship, and it is this. They were a persevering fellowship. See, the early church fellowship was one where when things got hard, when challenges arose, when there were threats to their life, threats to their family, threats to their faith, they didn't quit. They persevered. In fact, the word persevere means to persist in spite of opposition that's what the word means if you're going to persevere it means you're going to persist in spite of opposition right and without without opposition there is no perseverance and I think this is incredibly important for us today where we are because as we continue to try to live out Acts chapter 2 there will be for us as there was in the early church opposition There's going to be resistance because when the Spirit of God moves, inevitably the enemy of our soul tries to resist it. Pastor Finn was telling a story, uh, and he was writing an article about this, and and he was telling about learning how to sail. And when he was a kid, he was a teenager, you know, uh, they lived, they were from Chicago, and they lived on Lake Michigan, and his dad had a sailboat, and he said, listen, you can take it out without me, but make sure you take a friend with you. And so he would go out. I mean, it was a 42-foot sailboat on a body of water the size of Lake Michigan. That's a pretty big responsibility. And so he would go out with another, you know, kid, but, and they would, they would sail. But the first time he saw a cloud formation coming or the wind seemed to be piping up, he'd head back for shore. Because he knew this, this other kid's not going to be much help when the wind starts raging and, and the waves start getting bigger. But there were other times, he said. When his dad would come home uh, early from work or would take the day off from work, and he and his dad would go out sailing together, and he said, when I was sailing with my dad, I actually looked for cloud formations and for heavy air. I was hoping for heavy air because I loved the feel of the strong wind and the huge waves. Because strong winds always bring huge waves. It's very important to get this. And let me just seize on that that metaphor for a minute because it's a biblical one. In the New Testament, the word for spirit and the word for wind is the same word. Actually, in Hebrew, it's the same, and in in Latin, it's the same as well. Actually, it's the word for breath and wind and spirit is all the same word. And so many of the biblical writers seize on that that connection between wind and spirit. Jesus did this. John chapter 3, he said, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So there's a play on words there. It's the, it's the wind is, is like the Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind. It is the wind of God. It's the breath of God. What's happening in Acts chapter 2? It says they, on the day of Pentecost, they heard a sound as a rushing mighty wind, and they were filled with the Spirit. That's why the wind of God was the Spirit of God. And awesome things happen when the wind of God is blowing, when the Spirit of God is there. There were miracles, there were signs and wonders, lots of stuff, and there were waves of resistance. 
Because you can't have the wind without some waves. See, uh, if you've experienced something of the wind of the Spirit in your life, the move of the Spirit in your life, at some point, maybe very soon, if you haven't experienced it already, you will experience what I'm talking about today. And I want you to be ready for it. I want you to not be surprised by it. Don't be deceived. Don't be confused. I want you to know you're not going crazy. It's not necessarily because you've done something wrong. And it's certainly not that God has abandoned you. For when the wind of the Spirit blows, the inevitable reality is this. The waves of resistance come against it. Because you can't have the wind without some waves. And a strong wind brings strong waves. I mean, what, what have we been praying for this year? We've been praying for the move of the Spirit, right? We were trying to get into the Word and, 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 and dig out what Acts 2.42 is saying. We want the Spirit of God to move and, and blow on us, but we need to know that when that happens, waves of resistance begin to stir. Waves that, quite frankly, sometimes feel like they're going to capsize the boat and make you wonder if God has abandoned us. Because, listen, most of us live with a belief system that's entirely wrong. And the belief system is this, that if I do it right, there won't be any waves. Right? If I do it right, there won't be any trouble. There won't be any conflict. There won't be any adversity. So when the waves hit, sometimes we start thinking, what did I do wrong? You know, God has abandoned us. I thought he was going to make it easy. I thought that's what God's job was. He was going to make it easy for me. When in point of fact, sometimes the reason you and I are experiencing waves of resistance, waves of adversity in our life is precisely because the wind of the Spirit has begun to blow. And sometimes that happens in your marriage, and your marriage starts getting a little wavy. And it's not because you did something wrong. It's because the Spirit of God is starting to touch your marriage. And he's starting to bring it alive. And sometimes when that happens, the enemy of our soul, the forces of evil don't like giving up ground. And so what we need when that happens is to be a persevering fellowship. So let me just make three statements about my one point. It's just one point. It's just one point, but three statements about the one point, okay? Three things to know if you're going to persevere. If we're going to be a fellowship like the early church that perseveres, there's three things we got to know. you got to believe these things, okay? Number one is this. The wind of the Spirit brings waves of resistance. I will never forget the first time I read the book of Acts, covered a co- beginning to end, straight through without a break. We were, uh, I was with YWAM, I was whatever, 19 years old, and we were on a trip. We were driving in a bus from Elm Springs, Arkansas, south of Mexico City, Mexico, to Cuernavaca, Mexico. Long trip. This was like 1991, and the bus was circa 1969. We broke down 18 times on the trip. 18 times, but we had a lot of time, and so somebody had the right idea. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's, you know, this is before iPhones. Nobody, nobody was looking at their phones. Nobody, there, there were no cell phones in, in the bus, and so what do you do? We had a Bible, so somebody said, let's just read Acts, beginning to end without stopping, and somebody said, okay, so opened up the Bible, started reading, read two or three chapters, handed it to the next guy, next guy read two or three chapters, handed it around. We sat in a circle and we read Acts beginning to end, and I will never forget the feeling, the intensity of that moment, realizing that when you read the book of Acts, the wind of the Spirit is constantly blowing, and waves of resistance are constantly coming against the fellowship. In fact, I want you to see this chart 
we put this chart because sometimes, I don't know if you're like this or not, it helps me to see things in a chart form. Uh, but here we have the left column, the wind of the Spirit. That is when the Spirit of God is doing things. And on the right, you have waves of resistance or when there's persecution. And so, you, like, for example, Acts 2 and 3, day of Pentecost, Acts 2. Acts 3, that's when the guy who was crippled from birth was healed at the gate uh, called Beautiful. So that's the wind, I would call that the wind of the Spirit, wouldn't you? I mean, if there was somebody here today who was crippled from birth and all of a sudden they got up and walked... I mean, when you left, would you say, we had a pretty good day at church today? I mean, you you probably would. That would, uh, the wind of the Spirit, what happens? Acts 4, they get arrested. They get threatened and told not to do it. Then you have the beginning of Acts chapter 5, or verses 12 to 16, more miracles, more signs and wonders, more people getting saved. What does that lead to? Chapter 5, they're back to jail. Chapter 6, you have Stephen. He's doing, the text says, miraculous signs and wonders. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And what happens? He gets stoned. And when I say stoned, I don't mean he was smoking pot. I mean he got stoned. See, I think sometimes, you guys, some people get a little disillusioned with the church because they misunderstood the church's job description. They think the whole reason the church exists is to make them happy. They think the church exists to make them comfortable as if the church was a day spa. Listen, the church doesn't exist to be a country club. The church does not exist to be your events coordinator or the community organizer. The church exists to storm the gates of hell. That's why we exist. That's what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church. And notice, it's his church that he's building. He's not building your church or mine. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Not going to happen. And look, gates are a defensive thing. They're not, you know, I have never seen a soldier, you know, going out and he's got his sidearm and he's got a rifle in hand and he's got a gate in the other. I will hit you with this gate. Nobody does that. It's a defensive thing. Meaning, we as the, if the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against us, what does that mean? That means we're storming the gates of hell. That's our job. We're supposed to be, you guys, this is our job description. We're supposed to be going to the dark places, the demonic places, the dead places of our city, of our businesses, of our families, of our marriages, and we're supposed to be taking the light and love of Jesus. That's the job description. And that is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we need the wind of the Spirit to blow. If we're just going to a day spa, who needs the Holy Ghost for that? You just got to lay there and get a massage or whatever you do at a day spa. I don't know. But see, if you're going to the the demonic places, the the, the dark places, the dead places, those places kick back. Because the wind of the spirit will bring waves of resistance every single time. And I want you to know this. And I want you to hear this. For me, the wind of the spirit is blowing here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I believe that with all of my heart. The wind of the Spirit, when I just started, I sat down just, and took just a couple minutes and just started writing down some of the things that I know the Spirit of God has been doing lately. You know, starting from the day after Christmas, on, uh, that, that Sunday, the 26th, which happened to be the day that my dad went to the hospital that day, which seemed like a bad day at the beginning of the day, but he was healed by the end of the day. Somebody in our church that Sunday got born again. Got born again. And we've had a couple people get saved since then. Uh, two Wednesday nights ago when they had their prayer for the healing class that was going on here, we had two people, and I hope that they'll give testimony soon, who got healed right then. Yes. We got it on video of them being touched by the Lord. 
and we're hopefully they're going to give testimony. We, we've got our Hispanic or Latino or Spanish-speaking ministry, which is blowing up in a good way. It's like blowing up like positive, yeah. I mean, God is moving in that ministry. We've got our Bible studies, the Wednesday night Bible studies, the Sunday morning. You, heard the test, you just heard the testimony about what God's doing in there. We've got community Bible studies that meets here on Saturday, which is a group of women who study the Bible together. Uh, did I say Saturday? It's on Thursday. My apologies. It's Thursday. I'm getting excited because God is doing stuff. You know, we, we have testimonies coming out of our life groups of people who are coming alive in our life groups. We got, we got outreaches to our, our, we've got a refugee ministry and, and you got, you know, all we did was say, hey, we're going to do this ministry. We got these refugees coming, uh, you know, and so if you guys would help us out, what in the world? You guys responded like we had to, we had to go rent a container to put all the stuff in there. Because you guys responded, and we, we outfitted a whole house for a, a family from Afghanistan of nine people. Amen. And most recently, we've been able to outfit a home from some immigrants from the Congo, and they're here, right over here today in our service. <laughs> so we, we welcome you to our country, and we welcome you to New Life Church. Amen. We're glad you're here. And I'm, I'm blessed by that, you guys. I'm blessed by the fact that you guys responded like that. We got our street team every other Saturday. They're going, I'm hearing testimonies every time they go out. We got our hot dogs and homework outreach where there's kids who are, who are, who are having help with their homework. But it's not just that. Relationships are being built. Kids that wouldn't come to the church any other way. They're seeing the love of Jesus in that way. We got, you know what we have today? We have YWAM Louisville has 81 students and staff coming back from the mission field for the life. They've been on the field for two months and they're coming back, I don't know, yesterday, today. They're on their way back and we had a part in training them. And they, and listen to the nations they're coming back from Egypt, South Africa, Mexico, Thailand, Colombia, and Brazil. And we had a piece of that. And it's not just that. I mean, just in our full-time, long-term missionaries that we support here, you know this, right? Every dollar you give to New Life, part of it is going around the earth so that the kingdom of God gets spread and the gospel of the kingdom gets preached. Here's what I'm saying. There's a lot of things happening. The wind of God's spirit is blowing. What makes you think it'll be smooth sailing? No. In fact, if it ever gets too smooth sailing, I, I get a little nervous. See, when the God's wind is blowing, there will be waves. The enemy will kick back, and that is why we need a fellowship. We need a fellowship, a persevering fellowship that can encourage one another. Because I think, am I the only one that thinks this? Probably not. You probably agree. I think, you guys, that the heat is just being turned up in our country right now. And if there was ever a timely message that we needed to be a persevering fellowship, it is now. That's my first statement about my one point. My second statement about my one point is this. It's not only that the wind of the Spirit brings waves of resistance, it's that the stronger the wind, the bigger the waves. You see this throughout the book of Acts. The more the Spirit moved, the bigger the waves of opposition. I have another chart. Forgive me for having two charts in one sermon. But here's another chart. And, and this, if you, if you have trouble seeing it, just take a picture of it, and then you can explode it on your phone. Uh, explode it? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Expand, magnify, whatever word you want to use. Do whatever you want to do. Okay. Within reason. Okay, so 
this chart is two, two columns here, and it's comparing Acts 4 to Acts chapter 5. So there's, the stories are almost identical with two exceptions, okay? So in Acts 4, the Sadducees and the chief priests arrest the apostles. They do the same thing in Acts 5. In chapter 4, it's because they're disturbed. In chapter 5, it's because they're jealous. In chapter 4, they throw them in jail overnight. In chapter 5, they throw them in jail overnight. And here's where the first difference comes in. In chapter 4, they just leave them in jail. In chapter 5, an angel comes and gets them out of jail. Oh, okay, so now we're upping the supernatural a little bit. Right, in chapter 4, they sit in jail overnight. In chapter 5, an angel comes, get, bust them out. It was a jailbreak. It was just occurs to me, man, if you need a jailbreak today, if something's got you in bondage, today is your day. Okay, that wasn't in my notes. I apologize for that. Okay, look, chapter 4, the apostles are successful among the people. Chapter 5, they're successful among the people. Uh, they get a hearing the next morning in 4. They get a hearing the next morning in 5. The authorities demand an answer in 4. The authorities demand an answer in 5. Peter gives them an answer in both 4 and 5. And what's his answer? God raised Jesus whom you crucified. In both chapters. He said, this is what happened. And then he says in chapter 4, Jesus is the means of salvation. In chapter 5, he says, Jesus is the Savior. In chapter 4, we're going to obey God rather than mortals. Chapter 5, obey God rather than mortals. And in chapter 4, they get a gag order. In chapter 5, they get a reminder of the gag order, and they get a new gag order. This is just the way government works. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to remind you of our gag order, and we've given you another gag order. And here's the second difference. I mean, the first difference was an angel came in chapter 5. It didn't happen in chapter 4. Here's the second difference. In chapter 4, there's a threat of punishment. In chapter four, 5, they are punished by flogging. If you go on, the rest of it is the same. They released the apostles and both. They were praising and rejoicing, being counted worthy to suffer. And then they continued on in what they were doing. And by the way, I adapted this. Uh, this whole chart from uh, Craig Keener in his commentary, and adapting is just the academic word for saying I stole it from him. <laughs> but I gave him credit, so that's research. That's the difference. Okay? Here's my point. Here's my point. In chapter four, it's going good. In chapter five, it's going even better. An angel rescues them, but the waves of resistance get bigger and they get persecuted. The stronger the wind, the bigger the waves. This continues on in the book of Acts. Go to the next chapter in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Okay, I love that, right? That's a great verse. He did miraculous signs and wonders. What's the very next sentence? Opposition arose, however. Now, by this time, you get to Acts chapter 6, you shouldn't be surprised by that, right? This is what we've been seeing through the whole book. And what does Stephen do? He preaches, just like Peter did, he preaches Jesus. But this time, they're furious with him. And they don't just threaten him like they did in chapter 4. They don't just flog him like they did in chapter 5. They stone him to death. Well, <laughs> time out. Wait a second, wait a second. I didn't know anybody was going to die. This is a much larger wave of opposition. And what happens, if you just read the text, the wave of opposition begins to grow so that the believers get scattered, but wherever they go, they're preaching Jesus. Because you can't stamp out the church. Wherever, wherever it grows, wherever it goes, it continues to grow. 
The early church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. No matter, so wherever you kill a martyr, right there the church will sprout up. And they begin to preach Jesus, and it's more wind of the Spirit, and it's more waves. Of, it's a matched set. So what am I saying? Don't be shocked. Oh, don't be surprised. When the wind of the Spirit is moving, that the enemy of our souls is going to try to stir up opposition to fight it. And it doesn't mean we failed. In fact, it might be that we're doing it right. You know, I, I, we had, Dad had a friend of his that used to say, I don't know if he came up with this or somebody else did, but if you never run into the devil, the two of you might be going the same direction. Number one, the wind of the Spirit brings the waves of resistance. Number two, the bigger the wind, the greater the waves. And number three, the fellowship helps us persevere through the waves. See, throughout the book of Acts, it was the fellowship of believers that helped each other navigate the waves of opposition, the waves of resistance and persecution. I mean, I don't have time to go through the whole book of Acts, but just a couple of examples here. In chapter 9, there's Saul, who had been killing and imprisoning Christians, right? He, he comes to know Jesus, makes a 180, says Jesus is Lord, starts preaching Jesus, but the Christians in Jerusalem want nothing to do with him. And you might not either if he puts your brother in jail. So what happens? Barnabas, one of the, the fellowship. He comes and says, no, I can vouch for this guy. He really has changed. He's been preaching the gospel. And then before you get to the end of that chapter in verse 25, there's a, there's a death threat against Saul. They're going to kill him. They're hatching their plan. And what happens? The fellowship, it says, they got around him and they lowered him in a basket through a hole in the wall so he could escape. Amen. It was the fellowship that rescued him. In chapter 12, the church is praying fervently because Peter is in prison. And you remember what happens. Once again, an angel comes, but the text says the church, the fellowship, was praying fervently. Amen. And the word fervently is the same word that was used to describe Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat, as it were, drops of, blo drops of blood. Same word. So he got rescued. Why? Because the church, the fellowship came around and prayed fervently. In chapter 14, Paul is in now, he's going by his name Paul now, and he's in Lystra, and some Jews from Antioch come over, and they stone Paul and drag him out of the town and leave him for dead. Now, I don't know, you probably know this, but here's how stoning worked in the first century. You throw the person at the stone, and then you throw the stones at the person. This, this is how you do stoning, right? You, you, you take the person up on a cliff or up on top of a building or something, something up high, and you throw them off. They hit the stone. Then you take stones and you throw it down on top of them. Okay, very few people survive stonings for a good reason. And yet, you know what the text says? They drug him out of the town and left him for dead. And then it says, the disciples got around him. Uh, the, 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 the NIV and I think the ESV say they surrounded him. The, the, the Greek text implies they got in a circle around him. And he got up and walked off. Now, I don't know. I mean, the, the commentators are kind of split on this. Because some of them say, well, this is obviously... They prayed for him and a miracle happened because you just don't get thrown off of a cliff and fall on stone and have stones on top of you and not get hurt. I mean, very rarely, you, you, you know, very, there are some historical examples where people survive, but not very many. Okay? So, so something probably happened. The point is, 
the fellowship got around him. And then he got up and he went on to minister. Here's my point. You were never designed to navigate the waves of resistance and persecution on your own. You weren't designed, you were designed to be part of a fellowship. The early church didn't do it by themselves and you're not going to either. We don't persevere just by ourselves. When you got saved, you got saved into the body of Christ. I don't have time to do it, but a great study this week would be Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it all talks about how we are the body of Christ. You were never designed to be on your own. You're part of a body. Listen, if you walk down Goose Creek Road this afternoon, you will never see an ear walking down the road. Now, you might see an ear on the side of somebody's head walking down the road. But there's not going to be just an ear walking down the road because it wasn't designed to do that. And neither were you. And listen, the days are coming and are now upon us, I believe, when we better get serious about persevering with the fellowship. I've been reading the book of Hebrews a lot lately because I hope later in the year that we're going to preach through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And Hebrews was written to Christians who were facing hardship, right? They were tempted because of the hardship to turn back to their old life. And the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, is saying Jesus is superior to the old way of life. Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to the law. His sacrifice is superior. He is sufficient. So don't go back don't go back. And the author encourages them to help each other persevere and not give up. I'll give you an example of what he says in chapter 3. Listen to these verses. This is incredible verses. See to it. This is verse 12 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. See to it, brothers, and we might add, and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness do you see what he's saying there let me me just unpack it sin in its essence is a preference for anything over god that's what sin is at its core it's preferring anything over god it's seeing or treasuring anything as more desirable than god it is therefore deceitful because nothing is greater than God. No possession, no position, no experience, no, 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 nothing is greater than Jesus who is our supreme treasure. Therefore, all sin is a lie. All of it. And according to this verse, when you let that lie in, what does it do? It does something to your heart. It hardens your heart. So that, what does that mean? I, I think it means that, that it's no longer penetrated by the truth and the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, well, maybe it feels like all of a sudden, but it's been happening for a while. What happens is you begin to see things differently. And all of a sudden, money becomes more compelling than Jesus. And sex becomes more compelling than Jesus. And, and success by the world standards becomes more compelling than Jesus. Hear me this morning. you got to hear me kind of obeying this verse here. I want to say, if you are in the grip of anything that is more precious to you than Jesus, then according to this text, you have an unbelieving heart that is turning from the living God. And the author of Hebrews says, see to it. Make sure that none of you 
And it's a call not just to the pastor. It's a call not just to the elders. It's to the fellowship. You, plural, the fellowship. See to it. That nobody is gripped by other things so that they're deceived and they can't see the beauty and the truth of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In other words, help each other persevere. In other words, say to each other, dude, Jesus is better. Jesus is the supreme treasure. If you see somebody else in the fellowship treasuring something else above Jesus, love them enough to say, oh, friend, Jesus is better. Listen, Christian fellowship exists for this. Christian friendship exists for this. Christian marriage exists for this. Parenting, life groups, Bible studies, missions, children's ministry, youth ministry, they all exist to display and proclaim and remind each other that Jesus is better. Better than anything this world has to offer, any experience, any accolade, any treasure, Jesus is better. We're supposed to be a persevering fellowship that encourages each other to keep it up. Who come in here and we say, whether it's at the Bible studies or if it's on Wednesday night, if it's a life group, it's in our celebration service on Sunday morning, that we come together and we encourage each other and say, don't quit. Don't give up. The end is coming. And no matter what you're going through, Jesus is greater. And we we walk out of here remembering, being reminded, being pushed, being prodded to believe Jesus is greater. It was, I'll just give a couple more illustrations and I'll be done. It was the 2014 commencement address at the University of Texas at Austin where uh, the Navy SEAL uh, Admiral William H. McRaven spoke and gave a famous commencement address. It was famous because for a lot of people, his first point was, if you want to change the world, begin by making your bed. And this speech was loved by all parents everywhere, (laughs) especially if you had sons. Um, So you probably have heard of that speech through that. But I think by far the most moving part of the speech, to me at least, was towards the end. And he talked about going through SEAL training. And, and, And in SEAL training, on the ninth week of SEAL training, it's what they call hell week. And they are kept up for something like three or four days straight without sleeping. And they have to put their body through very uh, huge and and, uh, excruciating situations. And in fact, on Wednesday of that week, in the evening, as the sun's going down, they took them to the flats, the mud flats near Tijuana. Freezing cold mud. And they're just in their shorts and they're in the mud and they begin to sink in the mud. And the wind is howling and, and they sink so far that they become only visible from their head up. And the instructors told them, if only five of you quit, they had to be in there for 15 hours, by the way, all through the night, 15 hours. And their instructors told them, if just five of you quit, all you got to do is get out and ring the bell. That's it. And that's washing out. If you ring the bell, you're washing out. If just five of you do that, you can all get out of the oppressive cold. And they were about seven hours into it. They had eight hours left. Eight out, get this, eight hours of bone chilling cold. It's in the middle of the night. And he could tell some of them were thinking about quitting until suddenly, out of the darkness, came a voice that began to sing 
terribly off key, <laughs> but full of enthusiasm. And that one voice became two. And two voices became three, and three became four, until the entire class was singing. And the instructor started yelling at them, saying, They're gonna get, you're going to get more mud time if you don't stop singing. You better stop singing right now. But they all just kept on singing. And the more they sang, he said, all of a sudden, as we sang, the mud seemed a little warmer. And the wind got a little tamer. And the dawn seemed not that far away. And nobody quit. And then he says, if I've learned anything, anything at all in my leadership in the Navy, it is this, the power of hope. And then he said, if you want to change the world, be part of a group that starts singing when you're up to your neck in mud. You know what, guys? That's the fellowship. That's who we are. We're the people who start singing when we're up to our neck in mud. And the devil might be saying, all you got to do is quit. You know what we do? We start singing. We say, oh, yeah, we just starting now. Eight more hours? That's nothing. And we begin to sing. Last illustration, then I'll be done. A few weeks ago, we talked about, we were talking about being devoted to prayer and how prayer shapes history. And one of the stories we, we looked at was 1 Samuel 23, when, when David was at a place called Keilah, and, and Saul finds out about it. Saul's after him. Saul's trying to kill him. And, and David, the text says, inquired of the Lord and said, is Saul going to come? And God said, yes. And he says, well, the people of Keilah hand me over to him. And God says, yes. So therefore, David left, which seems pretty smart to me. It's what I would have done. But after he leaves, he's pretty discouraged because the king's trying to kill him. And then something remarkable happens. The king's son, Jonathan, comes, and there's this incredible verse, 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. Listen to this and let it resonate in your soul. He said this, and Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh, and listen to this, and helped him find strength in the Lord. Jonathan helped David find strength in the Lord. That is the psalm of Christian fellowship. We help each other find strength in the Lord. It's not that we give people strength. It's like we take them to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a friend like that? Do do, do you have a friend that will help you find strength in the Lord? I do. I do, I, and I'm not even going to my whole story, but there was a time where things were pretty dark in my life, and, and they were so dark, I, I, I didn't know if I could go on. I didn't know if I wanted to go on. I even made plans not to go on. But I had a friend. I had several friends, men, men who said, let me help you find strength in the Lord. And you know what they did? They reminded me of the gospel. They reminded me of the good news that, guess what, Tim? You're not saved because of your performance. Oh, no, no, no. You're saved by the precious blood of Jesus shed on the cross at Calvary. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, and he was raised from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, he is Lord. And you know what that means? He has declared you righteous on the basis of his righteousness. And his righteousness has been put on your account, so you have, here's the word, been justified. Declared righteous. It means you're already accepted, Tim. You're already approved by the only person that matters in the universe. You're already adopted into the family of God. You already call him Abba, Father. 
And you know what they did by reminding me of that? They were helping me find strength in the Lord. You got a friend like that? Here's the follow-up question. Are you a friend like that? If we're going to persevere as a fellowship, this is the kind of friends we got to be. That we help each other find strength in the Lord. I wonder if there might be somebody here today and you're experiencing the waves of resistance. Maybe the waves of opposition. Maybe it's just pure out persecution. Maybe it's just the enemy just just pressing up against you in hardships or challenges or whatever. Maybe if you're here, here, I I want you to hear this. We're, We're about to have some prayer time, some ministry time. Here's the goal. I want to help you find strength in the Lord. 